Section three of In Our Convent Days. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In Our Convent Days by Agnes Replier. Section three. The Convent Stage. From this hour I do denounce the creed whose fatal worship of bad passions has led thee on step by step to this blood guiltiness elizabeth was studying her part we were all studying our parts but we stopped to listen to this glowing bit of declamation which elizabeth delivered with unbroken calm i drop down on my knees when i say that she observed gloomily we looked at her with admiring envious eyes our own roles offered no such golden opportunities lily's indeed was almost as easily learned as snug's being limited to three words the christian slave which was supposed to be spoken interrogatively but which she invariably pronounced as an abstract statement bearing on nothing in particular it was seldom however that we insignificant little girls of the second course were permitted to take part in any play and we felt to the full the honor and glory of our positions i come on in three scenes and speak eleven times i said with a pride which i think now strongly resembled mr rushworth's what are you tony a beggar child said tony i cry bread bread in piercing accents she was reading from the stage directions and afterwards say to zara that's mary orr our thanks are due to thee noble lady who from thy abundance feeds us once our love and blessings follow her who give us daily of her slender store is that all the other beggar child says nothing but bread bread replied tony stiffly what a lot of costumes to get up for so many little parts commented elizabeth ever prone to consider the practical aspect of things i am dressed in rags said tony they oughtn't to give much trouble lily and i are to be dressed alike i said slaves of the royal household madame rayburn said we were to wear turkish trousers of yellow muslin with blue tunics and red sashes tied at the side won't we look like guys i spoke with affected disdain and real complacency gloating like mr rushworth over the finery i pretended to despise elizabeth stared at us dispassionately lily will look well in anything she remarked with disconcerting candor at which lily blushed a lovely rose pink she knew how pretty she was but she had that exquisite sweetness of temper which is so natural an accompaniment of beauty perhaps we should all be sweet-tempered if we could feel sure that people looked at us with pleasure you will have to wear turkish trousers too said tony maliciously to elizabeth and get down on your knees in them no i won't returned elizabeth scornfully i'm not a turk i'm a moorish princess zara's niece moors and turks are the same said tony with conviction moors and turks are not the same said elizabeth turks live in turkey and moors live whereabouts is this play anyway marie granada said marie the spanish army under ferdinand and isabella is besieging granada i wish i were a moor instead of a pious spanish lady 
it would be a great deal more fun i've always got pious parts this was true but then most of the parts in our convent plays were pious and if they were given to marie it was because she was so good an actress the only one our second course could boast elizabeth indeed had her merits she never forgot her lines never was frightened never blundered but her absolutely unemotional rendering of the most heroic sentiments chilled her hearers hearts marie was fervid and impassioned her ars had the true gallic role her voice vibrated feelingly she was tall for thirteen without being hopelessly overgrown as emily and i were strangest of all she did not seem to mind the foolish and embarrassing things which she was obliged to do upon the stage she would fling her arms around an aged parent and embrace her fondly she would expound the truths of christianity as saint philomena she would weep and pray and forgive her enemies as the luckless madame elizabeth what is more she would do these things at rehearsals in her short school frock with unabated fervor and without a shade of embarrassment we recognized her as a heaven-sent genius second only to julia reynolds and antoinette mayo who i still think must have been the greatest of living actresses yet in our secret souls we despised a little such absolute lack of self-consciousness we were so awkward and abashed when brought face to face with any emotion so incapable of giving it even a strangled utterance that marie's absorption in her parts seemed to us a trifle indecent it was on a par with her rapid french her lively gestures her openly expressed affection for the nuns she liked and the unconcern with which she would walk up the long classroom between two rows of motionless girls to have a medal hung around her neck on sunday night at primes this hideous ordeal which clouded our young lives was no more to marie than walking upstairs no more than unctuously repeating every day for a fortnight the edifying remarks of the pious spanish lady plays were the great diversion of our school life we had two or three of them every winter presented it seemed to me with dazzling splendor and acted with passionate fire i looked forward to these performances with joyful excitement i listened steeped in delight i dreamed them afterwards for weeks the big girls who played in them and of whom i knew little but their names were to me beings of a remote and exalted nature the dramas themselves were composed with a view to our special needs or rather to our special limitations their salient feature was the absence of courtship and of love it was part of the convent system to ignore the master passion to assume that it did not exist to banish from our work and from our play any reference to the power that moves the world the histories we studied skipped chastely on from reign to reign keeping always at bay this riotous intruder the books we read were as free as possible from any taint of infection the poems we recited were as serene and cold as tenerife love in the drama says an acrimonious critic plays rather a heavy part it played no part at all in ours and i am disposed to look back now upon its enforced absence as an agreeable elimination the students of st omer 
so i have been told presented a french version of romeo and juliet with all the love scenes left out this tour de force was beyond our scope but she stoops to conquer shorn of its double courtship made a vivacious bit of comedy and a translation of la malade imaginaire expurgated to attenuation was the most successful farce of the season of course the expurgation was not done by us we knew goldsmith and moliere only in their convent setting where it is safe to say they would never have known themselves most of our plays however were original productions written by some one of the nuns whose talents chanced to be of a dramatic order they were as a rule tragic in character and devout in sentiment sometimes so exceedingly devout as to resemble religious homilies rather than the legitimate drama a conversation held in purgatory which gave to three imprisoned souls an opportunity to tell one another at great length and with shameless egotism the faults and failings of their lives was not to our way of thinking a play we listened unmoved to the disclosures of these garrulous spirits who had not sinned deeply enough to make their revelation interesting it was like going to confession on a large and liberal scale the martyrdom of st philomena was nearly as dull though the saint's defiance of the tyrant symphronius persecutor of the innocent slayer of the righteous despot whose knell has even this hour rung lent a transient gleam of emotion and the angel who visited her in prison and who had great difficulty getting his wings through the narrow prison door was to my eyes at least a vision of celestial beauty what we really loved were historical dramas full of great names and affecting incidents our crowning triumph several times repeated was zuma a peruvian play in which an indian girl is accused of poisoning the wife of the spanish general when she is really trying to cure her of a fever by giving her quinine a drug known only to the peruvians and the secret of which the young captive has sworn never to divulge zuma was a glorious play its first production marked an epoch in our lives gladly would we have given it a season's run had such indulgence been a possibility there was one scene between the heroine and her free and unregenerate sister italca which left an indelible impression upon my mind it took place in a subterranean cavern the stage was darkened and far-off music the sound of spanish revelry floated on the air italca brings zuma a portion of bark sufficient only for her own needs for she too is fever-stricken but before giving it asks with piercing scorn are you still an inca's daughter or a castilian slave a question at which poor zuma can only weep piteously but which sent thrills of rapture down my youthful spine i have had my moments of emotion since then when madame bernhardt as la tosca put the lighted candles on either side of the murdered scarpia and laid the crucifix upon his breast when madame duce as magda turned suddenly upon the sleek von keller and for one awful moment loosened the floodgates of her passion and her scorn you have asked after emma and after kathy you have not asked for your child but never again has my soul gone out in such a tumult of ecstasy as when zuma and italca christian and pagan sisters the captive and the unconquered 
faced each other upon our convent stage and now for the first time i i eleven years old with no shadowy claim to distinction was going to take part in a play was going to tread the boards in yellow turkish trousers and speak eleven times for all the school to hear no fear of failure no reasonable misgivings fretted my heart's content marie might scorn the spanish lady's role but marie had played zuma had reached at a bound the highest pinnacle of fame elizabeth might grumble at giving up our recreation hours for rehearsals but then elizabeth had been one of the souls in purgatory the sinfulest soul and the most voluble of all besides nothing ever elated elizabeth she had been selected once to make an address to the archbishop and to offer him a basket of flowers he had inquired her name and had said he knew her father yet all this public notice begot in her no arrogance of soul her only recorded observation was to effect that if she were an archbishop she wouldn't listen to addresses a suggestion which might have moved the weary and patient prelate more than did the ornate assurances of our regard with this shining example of insensibility before my eyes i tried hard to conceal my own inordinate pride rehearsals began before we knew our parts and the all-important matter of costumes came at once under consideration the play closet that mysterious receptacle of odds and ends of frayed satins pasteboard swords and tarnished tinsel jewelry was soon exhausted of its treasures some of the bigger girls who were to be spanish ladies in attendance upon queen isabella persuaded their mothers to lend them old evening gowns the rest of the clothes we manufactured ourselves by the pure light of reason having no models of any kind to assist or disturb us happily there were no spanish men in the play men always gave a good deal of trouble because they might not under any circumstances be clad in male attire a short skirt reaching to the knee and generally made of a balmoral petticoat was the nearest compromise permitted marlowe that consummate dandy wore i remember a red and black striped skirt rubber boots a black jacket a high white collar and red cravat the cravat was given to julia reynolds who played the part by her brother it indicated marlowe's sex and was considered a little indecorous in its extreme mannishness they'll hardly know what she mrs potts is meant for will they asked mr snodgrass anxiously when that estimable lady proposed going to mr leo hunter's fancy ball as apollo in a white satin gown with spangles to which mr winkle made indignant answer of course they will they'll see her liar with the same admirable acumen we who saw marlowe's cravat recognized him immediately as a man moors and peruvians and ancient romans were more easily attired they wore skirts as a matter of course looked a good deal alike and resembled in the main the two gentlemen of verona as costumed by mr abbey it is with much pleasure i observe how closely if how unconsciously mr abbey has followed our convent models his valentine might be manco or cleante strutting upon our school stage his titania is a white-veiled first communicant 
the turkish trousers worn by lily and by me also by elizabeth to her unutterable disgust were allowed because they were portions of feminine attire made of rattling paper muslin stiff baggy and with a hideous tendency to slip down at every step they evoked the ribald mirth of all the other actors mary orr especially having firmly declined a pair as part of zara's costume was moved to such unfeeling laughter at the first dress rehearsal that i could hardly summon courage to stand by lily's side the more you show people you mind a thing the more they'll do it elizabeth had once observed out of the profundity of her school experience an experience which dated from her seventh year her own armor of assumed unconcern was provocation-proof she had mistrusted the trousers from the beginning while i thinking of lalla rook and normahal ladies unknown to the convent library had exulted in their opulent orientalism she had expressed dark doubts as to their fit and shape and had put them on with visible reluctance and only because no choice had been allowed her the big girls arranged within limits their own costumes but the little girls wore what was given them yet the impenetrable calm with which she presented herself dulled the shafts of schoolgirl sarcasm you might as well have tried to cauterize a wooden leg to use mirabeau's famous simile as to have tried to provoke elizabeth isabella of castile was a tragedy its heroine inez was held a captive by the moors and was occupying herself when the play opened with the conversion to christianity of ayesha the assumed daughter of the ever-famous haya alnaya a splendid anachronism at the siege of granada worthy of m sardou inez embodied all the christian virtues as presented only too often for our consideration she was so very good that she could hardly help suspecting how good she was and she never spoke without uttering sentiments so noble and exalted that the moors simple children of nature hated her unaffectedly and made life as disagreeable for her as they knew how the powers of evil were presented by zara sister of haya and the ruling spirit of granada enlightened criticism would now call zara a patriot but we held sterner views it was she who defied the spaniards who refused surrender and who when hope had fled plotted the murder of isabella it was she who persecuted the saintly inez and whose dagger pierced ayesha's heart in the last tumultuous scene a delightful part to add i knew every line of it before the rehearsals were over and i used to rant through it in imagination when i was supposed to be studying my lessons and when i was lying in my little bed there were glowing moments when i pictured to myself mary orr falling ill the very day of the performance madame rayburn in despair everybody thunderstruck and helpless and i stepping modestly forward to confess i knew the part i saw myself suddenly the centre of attention the forlorn hope of a desperate emergency my own insignificant speeches handed over to any one who could learn them and i storming through zara's lines to the admiration and wonder of the school the ease with which i sacrificed mary orr to this ambitious vision 
is pleasing now to contemplate but i believe i should have welcomed the bubonic plague with the prospect of falling its victim the next day to have realized my dreams one crowded hour of glorious life is worth an age without a name it was a pity that none of this dramatic fervor found expression in my own role which though modest was not without its possibilities but i was ardent only in imagination dramatic only in my dreams when it came to words i was tame and halting when it came to gestures i was awkward and constrained in vain madame rayburn read and re-read me my lines which in her clear flexible voice took on meaning and purpose in vain she sought to impress upon me my own special characteristics a slavish spitefulness and servility it was my privilege to appear in the first scene and to make the first speech of any importance to strike as i was told the keynote of the play the rising curtain revealed ayesha julia reynolds in her father's palace lily and i in attendance ayesha send hither inez lily her one great effort the christian slave ayesha impatiently is there another inez in the household you may both retire obediently we bowed and retired but on the threshold i remarked to lily in a bitter undertone audible only to the house ay ay we may retire and yet i think her noble kinsman would deem our songs and tales better amusement for a winter's eve than all those whispered controversies on the christian faith that last sometimes the whole night through i've overheard them but wait until zara returns try and say those words threateningly madame rayburn would entreat remember you are going to betray ayesha's secret wait until zara returns and you might clench your right hand your right hand no no i don't raise it julia if you giggle so i shall never be able to teach the children anything you embarrass and confuse them try once more wait until zara returns now enter inez lady you sent for me rehearsals were on the whole not an unmixed delight a large circle of amused critics is hardly conducive to ease and the free expression of dramatic force at least not when one is eleven years old and painfully shy i envied marie her fervor and pathos her clasped hands and uplifted eyes i envied elizabeth her business-like repose the steady if somewhat perfunctory fashion in which she played her role i envied lily who halted and stammered over her three words but whose beauty made amends for all shortcomings yet day by day i listened with unabated interest to the familiar lines day by day the climax awoke in me the same sentiments of pity and exultation moreover the distinction of being in the cast was something solid and satisfactory it lifted me well above the heads of less fortunate though certainly not less deserving classmates it enabled me to assume an attitude toward annie churchill and emily which i can only hope they were generous enough to forgive it was an honor universally coveted and worth its heavy cost the night came the stage was erected at one end of our big study room 
classic hall we called it the audience consisting of the school and the nuns for no strangers were admitted on these occasions sat in serried ranks to witness our performance behind the scenes despite the frenzy of suppressed excitement there reigned outward order and tranquillity the splendid precision of our convent training held good in all emergencies we revolved like spheres in our appointed orbits and confusion was foreign to our experience i am inclined to think that the habit of self-restraint induced by this gentle inflexibility of discipline this exquisite sense of method and proportion was the most valuable by-product of our education there was an element of dignity in being even an insignificant part of a harmonious whole at the stroke of eight the curtain rose ayesha reclining upon cushions and wearing all the chains and necklaces the school could boast listens with rapture to the edifying discourse of inez and confesses her readiness to be baptized inez gives pious thanks for this conversion not forgetting to remind the heavenly powers that it was through her agency it was effected into this familiar atmosphere of controversy the sudden return of zara brings a welcome breath of wickedness and high resolve granada is doomed her days are numbered the spanish army encamped in splendor awaits her inevitable fall her ruler is weak and vacillating her people cry for bread but zara's spirit is unbroken she finds inez in whom every virtue and every grace conspire to exasperate distributing her own portion of food to clamorous beggars and sweeps her sternly aside dare not again degrade a free-born moslem into recipient of thy christian charity she vows that if the city cannot be saved its fall shall be avenged and that the proud queen of castile shall never enter its gates in triumph dark whispers of assassination fill the air the plot is touching in its simplicity inez a captive of rank is to be sent as a peace-offering to the spanish lines ayesha and zoraya elizabeth accompany her as pledges of good faith zara disguised as a serving-woman goes with them her soul inflamed with hate her dagger hidden in her breast ayesha is kept in ignorance of the conspiracy but zoraya knows knows that the queen is to be murdered and that her own life will help to pay the penalty does she consent whispers a slave to me to which i proudly answer consent ay gladly if it be well for granada that this spanish queen should die then zara's niece being of zara's blood thinks neither of pity nor precaution she says she deals with the castilian's life as with her own and both are forfeited the scene shifts by the help of our imagination for scene shifters we had none to santa fe that marvellous camp more like a city than a battlefield where the spaniards lie entrenched it is an hour of triumph for inez and as might be expected she bears herself with superlative and maddening sanctity she is all the cardinal virtues rolled into one to live with the saints in heaven is untold bliss and glory but to live with the saints on earth is quite another story 
when i meanly currying favor beg her to remember that i have ever stood her friend she replies with proud humility i will remember not that i have seen or heard or suffered in granada and therein lies your safety the role of isabella of castile was played by francis fenton a large fair girl with a round face a slow voice and an enviable placidity of disposition a girl habitually decorated with all the medals ribbons and medallions that the school could bestow for untarnished propriety of behavior she wore a white frock of noticeable simplicity so great a soul as isabella said madame rayburn could never stoop to vanity a blue sash and gold crown which was one of the most valued stage properties foremost among the ladies who surrounded her was marie otherwise the marchioness de moya mother of inez and also though this was still to be divulged of the long-lost ayesha it is while the marchioness is clasping inez in her maternal arms and murmuring thanks to heaven and all the other spanish ladies are clasping their hands and murmuring thanks to heaven that zara sees her opportunity to stab the unsuspecting queen she steals cautiously forward my throbbing heart stood still and draws the dagger a mother-of-pearl paper knife from the folds of her dress but ayesha rendered suspicious by conversion is watching her closely suddenly she divines her purpose and when zara's arm is raised to strike she springs forward to avert the blow it pierces her heart and with a gasp she falls dying at isabella's feet every word that followed is engraven indelibly upon my memory i have forgotten much since then but only with death can this last scene be effaced from my recollection it was now that elizabeth was to make her vehement recantation was to be converted with shakespearean speed it was now that she was to fall upon her knees and abjure mohammedanism for ever she did not fall she took a step forward and knelt quietly and decorously by ayesha's side as if for night prayers her volcanic language contrasted strangely with the imperturbable tranquillity of her demeanor zoraya o oh, zara thou hast slain her slain the fair flower of granada the darling of haya's heart is dead spanish lady the girl speaks the truth twas zara's arm that struck zoraya contentiously from this hour i do renounce the creed whose fatal worship of bad passions has led thee on step by step to this blood guiltiness zara peace peace zoraya degrade not thyself thus for one not of thy blood nor race zoraya the brother's child not of our blood nor race thy crime has made thee mad sarah thou shalt see i would have word with the marchioness de moya marchioness de moya springing forward why namest thou me woman o oh, queen why does this moslem woman call on me isabella with uplifted eyes pray pray my friend naught else can help thee in this hour which i see coming for oh this is heaven ordained zara thou hadst a daughter marchioness de moya i have one 
zara one lost to thee in infancy when highest stormed alhama if thou wouldst once again embrace her take in thine arms thy dying child marchioness de moya unsteadily the hatred to our race is not unknown thou sayest this seeking to torture me but now twere not torture twere happiness to believe the words were words of truth zara i would not make a christian happy but the words are spoken and cannot be withdrawn for the rest haya whose degenerate wife reared as her own the captive child will not dispute its truth now that she is passing equally away from him and thee spanish lady oh hapless mother marchioness de moya proudly hapless i would not change my dying child for any living one in christendom and now alas that i must tell it came the burning humiliation of my childhood until this moment as the reader may have noticed no one had offered to arrest zara nor staunch ayesha's wound nor call for aid nor do any of the things that would naturally have been done off the stage the necessity of explaining the situation had overridden as it always does in the drama every other consideration but now while the queen was busy embracing the marchioness and while the spanish ladies were bending over ayesha's body it was my part to pluck zara's robe and whisper quick quick let us be gone to linger here is death to which she scornfully retorts they have no thought of thee slave and as for me i go to meet that fate allah ordains and slowly leaves the stage but where was i not in our convent schoolroom not in our convent stage but in the queen's pavilion witness to a tragedy which rent my soul in twain ayesha i had a passionate admiration for julia reynolds lying dead and lovely at my feet marie's pitiful cry vibrating in my ears and zara's splendid scorn and hatred overriding all pity and compunction wrapped in contemplation of these things i stood speechless and motionless oblivious of cues unaware of zara's meaning glance unconscious of the long strained pause or of madame rayburn's loud prompting from behind the scenes at last hopeless of any help in my direction zara bethought herself to say as for me i go to meet what fate allah ordains and stalked off which independent action brought me to my senses with a start i opened my mouth to speak but it was too late and realizing the horror of my position i turned and fled fled to meet the flood-tide of mary orr's reproaches every one will think that i forgot my lines she stormed didn't you see me looking straight at you and waiting for my cue the whole scene was spoiled by your stupidity i glanced miserably at madame rayburn of all the nuns i loved her best and i knew her too well to expect any comfort from her lips her brown eyes were very cold and bright the scene was not spoiled she said judiciously it went off remarkably well but i did think agnes that although you cannot act you had too much interest in the play 
and too much feeling for the situation to forget entirely where you were or what you were about there don't cry it didn't matter much don't cry as well say to the pent-up dam don't overflow or to the heaving lava bed don't leave your comfortable crater already my tears were raining down over my blue tunic and yellow trousers how could i poor inarticulate child explain that it was because of my absorbing interest in the play my passionate feeling for the situation that i was now humbled to the dust and that my career as an actress was closed end of section three